Welcome to the One Solution Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to explore if there really is one solution to all the world's problems. And that perhaps that solution lies in the mind. The mind is both the source of those problems, but also the solution to those problems. All right. Welcome to the One Solution Podcast. I'm extremely excited for our guests today. Um, Michael Neal, I'll introduce him professionally in a moment, but he's someone who over the last 10 years, I've come to know very closely and consider a very good friend. So it's always fun to interview people you consider friends and loved ones. He's also the reason why we're together, kind of. That is true too. He is the reason that we are a married couple and that one solution even exists. So, you know, it all began. Over God there. here being interviewed. No, I'm just dun, dun, dun. Um, but for those of you who don't know Michael Neal <laughs> intimately, um, he is an internationally renowned coach who is the best selling author of six books, including Creating the Impossible, which is the book we're going to be talking about today. Um, but he has done amazing things over the last 25 years as a coach, advisor, friend, mentor, and creative spark plug to celebrity CEO, royalties, people in the UN, and people in uh, over 60 countries and six continents around the world. Um, if you've never heard Michael, uh, one of the great intros to him is his TEDx talk, Why Aren't We Awesomer? I love the title. I always love inventing words. And um, he's got an awesome radio show of his own called Living from the Inside Out. And I was super impressed to learn that your blog and podcast, Caffeine for the Soul, is now in its 18th year and going strong. All I know is by the end of reading your bio, I thought, wow, what a lazy shit. Yeah. He just... Well, you know, I, do. I always hear my bio and think I'm going to be taller when I come out on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just... Or older. <laughs> or older, yeah. No, no. It's, it's quite funny. I brought somebody on my show once who's very well established and, and, and had an amazing bio. And I, I kind of mentioned this and she said, I'm old. It should be impressive. <laughs> That's awesome. The people you should be afraid of are the young ones with the long bias. That's right. All right. Well, um, let's get right into it because I, I really like, uh, not surprisingly, the whole notion of creating the impossible. And I wanted to start by asking you, why did you write this book? Well, I I wrote the book as there were there were two things that I could legitimately say were reasons. One is I had in mind for a while to write a trilogy of books. Uh, and in fact, I was with you, Mara, when um, uh, right after I pitched. Uh, in Denmark, this, right? Trilogy in Denmark, yeah. that's right. And I wanted to sort of try and see what it would be like to come at a conversation about the human potential from three different angles. So. Once from the psychological angle, and that was the inside-out revolution. Once from the spiritual angle, and that was the space within. And once from a purely practical angle, and that's creating the impossible. So this was always part of a conversation that I'm, in my mind, I'm having with my readers about what's possible, but just coming at it from different places. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing about creating the impossible, the reason that one for me is so much fun is 
I always wanted to do something with my life as a kid. Like I always thought it'd be cool to do something. And the only way I knew to do it was hard work. And that was okay. I was willing to work hard. But eventually I came to see one of my coaches once said to me, you've created a masterpiece of a life on a postage stamp of possibility. And I thought, oh, that sounds bad, but also interesting. <laughs> like, like, like Just what, a postage stamp? <laughs> what might be on the rest of the envelope? <laughs> right? you know? And so I started to just get very interested in possibility and why do things look impossible? And I know with my own clients that there's an edge with all of them to, to how far they think they can take them. And I started to see, oh, there's patterns to it. There are very predictable edges to people's world. And they're, they're, they're essentially, in my mind, there's a certain imaginary line we, we, we draw in our imagination and we don't look past it because everything on the far side is impossible. Mm-hmm. And that line might be a lot further out for you than it is for someone else, but you don't look past your line. And, and what's interesting is when people see that the line is, isn't real, they start to look at the whole picture, not just the part of the picture on this side of the line. And that's when things like what you two are up to stop seeming insane. I don't know if they're seeming insane to you this morning, but generally speaking, <laughs> not insane enough to not do them. And that for me is, is the joy of it, is, 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 is to help people show, help show people there's a much bigger arena for you to create inside of. And it's not as scary, and it doesn't take more effort and it, 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 it's non-linear. It's not about will. And so the whole point of the book and the program and, and, and that teaching is you want to pick something not grandiose or impressive to the world or because of that. You want to pick something you'd really like to see happen. And you know hard work alone won't be enough. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if it was just hard work, we could do a lot, but there'd be edges. But if you're willing to be about creating something that hard work won't do it, you'll need a few miracles along the way. That's when life gets interesting. Because it turns out, miracles are absolutely predictable. They're, let me rephrase that. They're absolutely reliable. They're completely unpredictable. That's the problem. (laughs) You don't know when you're going to get the call. You don't know when you're going to have the chance encounter. You don't know when a new idea is going to come to mind that totally changes the game. But if you stay in the game long enough, it's virtually guaranteed. Even been downtown to see other parts of Chicago and then other parts of the United States and other part of the world. So for them, what their world is literally their neighborhood for some of them. So, and they literally can't see beyond it and they can may hear stories, but they can only they can't really experience it. And within that world, they also explain the rules of that world: what you can do, what you can't do. Uh, you know, the probability of them either going to jail or getting di- or getting killed before they're twenty-five. Like within that kind of limits of what they can see there are physical rules that they perceive as real and there are also certain things they can't do like it's almost predestined so we've seen talking about basically what you said that there's you know there's more than 
you can see beyond there, stuff stuff just starts to kind of explode in their minds. It, it doesn't only go, okay, I can go to the next block. It goes like, oh, I got a whole world of opportunity. Like I've made up everything. Like I can rethink everything that I thought was real up until this point. So I love that that simplicity like for some it's physical for other one is it's only in our minds too but like it's it's really interesting seeing how much stuff they can do when they 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 kind of what they made up uh falls away and what didn't even seem impossible it wasn't even on the plate they didn't even see it so they couldn't even call it impossible because it, it was totally invisible now becomes like uh a life of opportunity. So, when that's actually, it's it, it. It didn't wind up being the official subtitle, but the but the book is is broken into two parts and making the invisible visible to make the impossible possible. I was just thinking exactly that it. is until it's visible, it 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 it's it, it's not even on the radar. Mm-hmm. Once it's visible, then suddenly we're we're now talking about a different game. Well, and that's what I loved when I was reading the book is that you do start with that, making the invisible visible, because it is amazing that, um, you know, to kind of spoil alert, spoiler alert, give away the book, it's like you're really making thought visible. It's the realization that, that these are not externally imposed limitations. They don't exist in a world out there. They're all inside the world of your mind. And so you're kind of exposing and making visible that fact. And then when that invisible truth becomes visible, then all of a sudden they can play in the realm of things becoming possible that didn't look possible because they, you, you, you realize they only ever existed in the mind in the first place. And I yeah. love the examples, like this, the examples in your book, the examples of the teenagers we're working with on the South Side and the example of us starting one solution were all that phenomenon of realizing that something that we completely saw as external was invisible as a part of our mind and our own thinking suddenly becomes visible as our own thinking. And then it's easy to go past. That's what I think is so phenomenal about this. And that's what I love about you saying then miracles become reliable is it is true. Like when we first started one solution, it did feel crazy that we were going to suggest there was one solution to all the world's problems. That sounded bonkers to me. But the second it was suddenly visible, how that, 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 and you talk about that in the book, the how becomes visible. Once you decide to eliminate your own limits in your mind, or you see them for what they truly are, which is just thought and not something external, then you throw yourself into the game of just going for it and going toward it and seeing what happens and the how emerges. And like you said at the start of this, yeah, sitting here today, it doesn't look crazy to me at all. It looks just like what we're up to and what we do and it's normal. Yeah. I I mean, I had a nice example of that walking the dog with Maisie last night. So you you guys know, but Maisie's my my 16 year old. We're walking the dog in the neighborhood and she stops suddenly. And I can tell she's like gotten a little bit of a fright. And there are coyotes and also skunks, but I mean, you know, there are animals around where we are. So you'd need to keep an eye out. So I, I, but my, the dog wasn't growling. So I, I, and I didn't see anything. I said, what is it? And she said, it's a wolf. I was like, wolf? I didn't think we had a wolf. And, and then she said, no, it's a wolf from Minecraft. Now, <laughs> what? 
Yeah, exactly. That was what I was doing. I was like, now <laughs> Minecraft is a video game, right? And 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 suddenly I saw what she was looking at. There were these two red eyes in the darkness staring at us, and it looked like a wolf from Minecraft. Now I was pretty sure it wasn't. So I kept looking, and then I realized it was the taillights of a car that was reversing around the corner, reflecting off trash bins. But it really did look like the eyes of a wolf from Minecraft. <laughs> now, when it looked like the, the eyes of a wolf from Minecraft, we were both coming up with our strategies. I suspect hers was to run faster than me, but we were coming up with our strategies for like handling the wolf. When we saw that there was no wolf, we didn't need a better strategy. We didn't need a, a, a better way. We weren't missing knowledge or training or experience once we saw it for what it was. And that turns out to be behind all of it is, is that you don't need special skills to go through an imaginary wall. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, it's not a glass ceiling. It's an imaginary ceiling. So not only can you go through it, there won't even be glass when you hit it. It just looks like there will be. Mm -hmm. So I'm dying to know in your experience of working with people and, you know, I love what you said, the kind of the trilogy that this was the practical application of a profound realization about humanity and what we're made of and what we're capable of. And this is the practical one, which I love. Creating the impossible is the practical one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think of that. Yeah, no, that's a fair Yeah, thing. yeah. Like, what is your How to Build Shelves book called? <laughs> um, but so I'd love to hear you some of your favorite stories of what you've seen come to, into reality for people in working with you or talking in this direction. Well, I think some, some of my favorite ones are, are, are not the super dramatic ones. Like there was a couple who introduced themselves uh, late last year who met through the program and, and, you know, that was the impossible. Well, I could, I could never meet somebody. I could never be married. I could never do that. And, you know, when they told me their story, it was one of these great, ridiculous stories of chance encounters and something leading to something else. And, and, and so I, I like the stories like that. Somebody wanted to get um, an art show on at, at MoMA and wound up getting an art show on across the street from MoMA. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I kind of like the quirky ones. But I also love the ones that totally kept off guard on the program last year. So I keep talking about the program because the book is based on a program I've run since 2009. But th there was a woman on the program who was on a train in Scotland and the train got stuck because of some infrastructure problem that I guess is a thing up there. And she, she decided, I'm going to make my impossible project getting British rail to understand that their limits are imaginary. And, and she bloody did it. Like, like, I mean, none of us, I mean, that's the thing is like, I don't even think this stuff is possible sometimes when people say what they're up to. I just know that it doesn't matter what I think. Mm. Right. It's not so much that I have confidence that people can do it. It's that I have confidence that whatever we think the edge is, we're wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, so while the, you know, some of the stories are more impressive, there's a, I mean, your guys' story is one of my favorites, but I, I won't tell that one because you know it. But, but the, uh, I, I loved the, the software company, you know, where they decided they wanted to change. So they came on the course and they decided to create a slipper company. And it's like, 
as random as that. And yet in doing it, they really saw something about, oh, we weren't successful because we're so good at software. We were successful because we started out in a direction and we stuck with it long enough for the miracles to start to happen and the coincidences and the synchronicities and things to open up. And then suddenly the path revealed itself as we went. And, and I think it's the sort of emergent how that I love, where, where nobody thinks they can do it or that the other person can do it. And then suddenly, oh, wait, there's a door. Oh, wait, there's a next step. And, and I, I sometimes liken it to, to um, shoots and ladders, snakes and ladders, the game. Mm-hmm. That in a way, our job is to roll the dice every day. Right. And some days we'll move forward one, some days we'll move forward six, but sometimes a one's better than a six because it gets you to a ladder that shoots you up. And sometimes a six will hit a slide that's like, you know, and the, the, the point of snakes and ladders is there's one more ladder than snake, which means the game is rigged in your favor. If you keep rolling the die, it's virtually impossible. Anything's possible, but it's virtually impossible to not eventually get to square 100. And life, it seems to me, really is set up that way. Mm-hmm. The path is uncertain. The timing is uncertain. But the destination is somewhat inevitable if you stay in the game. Yeah, I love that. We had, when we were in uh, England a couple of months ago, we spoke at a conference called Emerge, which was organized by the School Foundation. And the the director there uh told us about the first time he went to Africa and he just noticed like that, that basically the AIDS epidemic was as at, at its high, like it was huge. And there was like no one who would put any money behind it and said, you know, we can't really do anything with this. Hmm. And his whole deal was, you know, equity over equality where he explained that equality would be everybody gets the same equity would be, people who have less will get more like people who don't have the means will get more so that they will really support society. So, and for some reason he realized that even though everybody's saying there's no money, we can't save this. Like he just basically said, that's, that excuse is unacceptable. Like that's not part, that's not an option in his mind. It was an option in everybody else's mind that we can just say, no, these people are not going to get their AIDS medicine. In his mind, we're like, that's not an option. So basically his mind was like, we're going to make this happen no matter what. And exactly as you say, the how just started happening. And then after a while, it wasn't immediate, but like after months, after years, suddenly like everybody had medic- med- medication and then he's on to the next thing where he basically had a mind for seeing what people had took for granted or, or assumed always going to be that way or thought were stuck. And he had that eye for like, that's made up, that's not unacceptable. And he didn't see how, but he just knew this is what needs to happen for the humans here. And then it unfolded. Mm-hmm. So. I, I was with a, a client a couple of weeks back who's um, was, was, was telling me about, I, I'll be a little vague because I don't know how much of it is confidential. I don't think the whole thing's confidential, but um, basically is involved in a project that literally could end world hunger. It, like plausibly, 
And the fact that that even is out there to me is kind of amazing. But the thing that I loved about it was it really started as a whim. <laughs> you know, it started as a, wouldn't it be cool if, yes. you know, if we could, if we could do this and then, and then it was like, well, okay, well, if we were going to do it, I mean, I know it's impossible, but like, if we were going to do it, how would that work? Well, this would have to happen. And then that happened. You're okay. Well, yeah, but then this would have to happen and this would, and then that happens and then that happens. And suddenly there's, there's literally billions of dollars being invested in this plausible solution. And it was a whim, right? It was an impulse that was not ignored. It was a, it was a, oh, that'd be neat. <laughs> like, like, it's so funny to think that'd be neat could change the world. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's so close. Like yeah. a bet in a bar. Change the world. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, there's people who have the solution to everything right now. So the, the question is, you know, is it in your mind, is it a realization that they can do something about that thought or like, cause I know it's there, like logically the solutions are there. People have had the thoughts, maybe they gave up whatever, but like, wh how come like, I know it's a hard question, but. Well, I mean, I, it's only a hard question because there's probably multiple answers. I, I, I think the one, that, the one that comes to mind is where it seems like common sense to not waste our time on the impossible. Right? It seems efficient hmm. to not bother with things that are never going to happen. Yes. It's just that we, the reason that seems like a good strategy is because we think we actually can predict what's possible and what isn't based on what is. Like we think the past predicts the future. We think what is now can only continue and get worse, right? Or a little better or something, but the fundamental game will stay the same. The, the, the big shifts tend to happen when it's a quantum different way of approaching it, not just incremental. It's not if we only all worked harder, if we only all got along, it, it, the solution's not going to come in the arena of more of what we're already doing, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not conditioned to believe my thinking, right? So I, one, of the, one of the interesting things that I have come to see about myself is I, the reason that my sort of habitual pessimism doesn't really affect my life at all is I kind of know I'm an idiot. So it's like, I will be absolutely sure that everything I touch is going to turn to crap, but I also know I'm an idiot. So I'm probably wrong. <laughs> so yeah. I don't actually not do it because I think it's not going to work. <laughs> right. Well, it's that like, you know, we spend all this time trying to be positive. It's like, no, you don't need to be positive. You just need to get better at ignoring all of it. Mm -hmm. Like, how the hell do I know? I, I work at Hay House, right? So I, you know, I've been on Hay House Radio, the home of probably like the world's great psychics and mediums are, are all there. And I noticed that none of them win the lottery on a regular basis. <laughs> so like, if they can't do it, why do I think my predictions of the future are worth listening to? That's such a good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> I don't say it too loudly necessarily when I work, but nonetheless, <laughs> it does, I do notice it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Well, I, I have a follow-up question because 
you know, well, one, one thing we're talking about is like, basically, if you see, you can put your mind in a direction, answers and solutions and progress will happen. Hmm. But then I also know that you have a clear relationship about the work and the process of, of doing that. And I know most of us have a kind of distorted view of how it's going to, how that process from once you see it and you feel like, no, I'm going to go for that, put my mind in that direction. I think we all start distorting how that's going to look in terms of progress, in terms of failure, in terms of timeline, uh, timeline plateaus. Like we also can get stuck a million times walking that path. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, and I think it's so important because I think one of the reasons people give up, like there, I say in the book, and I, I think this is just true. I don't think it's particularly deep. There really are only three ways you can fail, right? You don't start. That's the number one way, right? You know, it was Michael Jordan's thing, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Well, now you'll have great reasons for not starting. Well, it's impossible. I'm too busy. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too that. But the truth is, if you don't start, you're not going to get there. That's, that's the first way to fail. Second way to fail is you stop before you get there, right? If you quit the game of snakes and ladders halfway through, you don't win, right? That's just true. Again, you'll have great reasons for it, but the reasons aren't really relevant. If you stop playing, you'll probably fail. Not always. Funnily enough, sometimes there's enough momentum generated that it'll carry on without you. A lot of the time. And then every now and again, and this is the least common, though people think it's much more common than it is in my experience, you run out of time. Like some stuff has a time frame, not much, because mostly we make up the time frame. But every now and again, you know, if somebody wants to win American Idol and American Idol is not on anymore, then they can't do that. <laughs> right. You know, but that's really not relevant in most in most instances. So if you see that, then the question becomes, how do I stop stopping myself? Right? How do I not not start? And how do I not drop out? Or how do I know when actually it probably is worth dropping out and not playing anymore? And and like you say, you can't use the metrics of what most people would call progress. In the same way, one of the metaphors I have for it is if you plant a seed and you don't know how seeds work, how seeds become seedlings, become plants, become whatever they're going to become, then you would probably give up watering it after a week because nothing's happening. Or you dig it up to check if it's broken or if you did it right, and then it wouldn't work because you dug it up. If you understand how things happen naturally, you can work with that. You don't freak out at the lack of apparent progress. So when it comes to creating, there are some pretty reliable steps. And the first one is you won't know what, how to do it, right? That is, that's stage one, the big nothing I call it in the book, but I sometimes, you know, just talk about like it, it's creating starts in the unknown. It starts with, I don't know. Then you, 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 you start playing around in there. You start messing with stuff. You start trying stuff. You start, you know, I, I use the analogy of flirt before you date, date before you engage, engage before you commit, right? It's, it's, you start flirting, you start playing with ideas. You start trying stuff in your mind. You start trying stuff on paper. You have a few conversations with people about it, see how they go. 
And if you like it more after you've been flirting with it for a little while, you go on some dates, you get stuck in, you start doing whatever it, you know to do. You start doing the work, you start putting in the hours. And if you like it even more when you've started putting in the hours, then you get engaged with it even more. You, you, you start doing the work to the point where you find the flow. Because when you do the work for any length of time, it's almost like the travelator kicks in. Like, like I, I spend too much time in airports, but but the, but like you know, the, I love the travelator because it's like it's gonna it it it's it's going where I'm going. It's just going there a little faster, and I can still walk on it. I can still do my thing, but I love the people who walk next to the travelator. I've never heard it I, called a travelator. That's so I, funny. I, I think that's its official name, but like, like <laughs> I, I love it because I, I always turn over my left shoulder as we pass them by and just go, what were you thinking? <laughs> but, but, but that's it. Like when you think you've got to do it all yourself, it's too exhausting to even contemplate. And we don't mm-hmm. realize, no, there's a travelator. There's a, there, there's a, a built in energy that, that will take you most of the way, it will do the heavy lifting as you go. And you just have to be in the game long enough to, to catch the updraft. That would be another metaphor. Like it looks crazy to jump off a cliff uh, uh, until you realize, oh, there's an invisible updraft that when you catch it is going to lift you. And, and, and that, you know, I talk about it as, as the creative mind or the creative potential usually, but like that updraft is always there. And when you can find it in the small things, you start to trust in the big things as well. And then there comes a point where you do have to let go, where you do have to go, I've done my bit over to, over to the universe, over to the world, over to life to take it from here. And I'll move on to the next project and I'll watch with interest to see what, you know, does my baby take its first steps? Can it survive in the world without me? And most of the time it can, and some of the time it doesn't but that's okay. We can create again and we can create again and we can create again. And that's why to my mind, the most successful, impactful people in the world don't stop, right? They might, a particular thing they were working on might stop, but the game doesn't stop. Like, like best I understand it, Gandhi didn't stop when India got its independence, right? Just a new game started. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't, okay, I've set this up. Now what? Like you're available to the next and you're available to the next. And that I've come to the opinion that willingness is, is nine tenths of the game. If you're willing to jump in, if you're willing to be carried forward, if you're willing to have it come through a miracle and not just your hard work, if you're willing to do what work there is to do, you'll get as far as it is humanly possible to go. And it'll turn out that's a lot further than you think. You, d- you basically said it already, but I was going to ask you to clarify because I think it's so important that, you know, what you're pointing to is something that's innate to human beings. It's in our, I think you describe it in the book as our operating system. Mm. And I think sometimes people can hear conversations like this and think, oh, that's nice for people who, 
you know, have the luxury of being able to explore creating the impossible. Like it almost sounds like, uh, you know, a hobby for the privileged or something. But I think what's amazing is if you look at the great advancements throughout history is, is often people who come from, you know, all sorts of, you know, um, difficult backgrounds or they face tons of obstacles. And, and, and I just wanted, wondered if you could say something a little bit more about, you know, what all human beings have going for them. And you've spoken about it a bit here, but I think that's what's so powerful about this is you're pointing to something that has nothing to do with anything external. It's completely to do with the inbuilt human operating system. Yeah. I, when you said that, it, it, something came to mind. I haven't thought about it in a while, but I, I've always found that the people who are initially most receptive to this conversation are, are, are the really poor and the really rich. And my theory about that is that the really poor know that it can't be about circumstance because their circumstances are so crap that if that's the basis of a happy life, they're screwed already. So they're very open, generally speaking, to another way of seeing it. The really rich already have everything and that didn't do it. And so, you know, they're, they're very open to another way of thinking about it. Those of us in the middle we still think if I just make this much more money, if I just get this much further, then it'll all be okay. And so we're, we're more likely to be stuck in the game. And, and, and what it made me think is I, I, as it happened, had in a very short space of time, I was in South Africa speaking in one of the townships and they had just lost one of their kids um, in the community, had drowned. And, you know, the, everyone was, was devastated. And, I just talked to them about this innate resilience and, and how real as their feelings felt, it would look different if not in the morning, in a week, in a month, in a year, because that's the nature of the mind. Thoughts settle and new thoughts come in. The world looks different. And I had a, had a, a, a lunch with one of the 20 richest people in the world on my return and we basically had the same conversation because fundamentally what we're up against is we think the way it looks to us now is representative of the way that it is. But the way that it looks to us now is only ever representative of thought in head. And the nature of the mind is that thought will settle, new thought will come in and new thought things will occur to us that not only make the world look different, but make it easier to navigate. And, and, and so there's, you know, I sometimes liken it to uh, a, a glass elevator. You guys, are, I don't know the, the analogy, but that the higher we go in the glass elevator, the more we can see. And so we think that the world as we see it is what we have to deal with. It never is. And the elevator moves up as we see it. So I see through an imaginary edge and boom, the elevator goes up and I see more. I, I feel the travelator moving, right? I feel, oh, there's something moving me forward even when I'm not trying so hard. And the elevator goes up and I see more. Mm. That's in everyone. Mm. And so the reason your circumstances don't matter, they matter a lot on the ground floor. 
But when you're on the 30th floor looking down at them, you, you see, oh, there's a whole world beyond my neighborhood, you know, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what gives people hope and opens up possibility to them. Mm-hmm. And that's built into the system. And that's what I love that you point out in the book is if it's built into the system, you don't have to do it. So the kind of positive psychology or um, working on our optimism or our even even the pressure to have good ideas and you know come at a certain time every day. It's like you really kind of blow the lid off all of that and say, look, if it's built into the design, you don't have to worry about that part. It will so emerge naturally. Don't order yet, kids. It's even better than that. Because not only do you not have to do it, you can't mess it up. But you can't break it. Like I, I think that's the problem with all the positive psychology strategies is we think we can mess up our mind. We, we can get it wrong. And then that brings up a whole host of reasons we don't want to play. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you can't mess up gravity. Right, literally, try it. Like, have at it. See if you can get gravity to stop working. It, it does. You're never going to get anywhere with that because it's built into the system. Well, when you see that sort of resilience is built into the system, creativity is built into the system. The the seeing possibility, fresh thought is built into the system. Then, then it's like you're off the hook. You just have to show up and be available and be willing. And that's something anyone can do at any time. Mm-hmm. Well, there's something coming to mind to me with kind of like if I were to play a little bit, kind of the opposite. And this is like, this is my real opinions you're going to hear now. So I, I would love to hear what you guys have to say about it. But I often feel like, you know, I would often have the idea that I could or should go for something or do something when it's not really natural or comes like, it's not, it's, 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 it doesn't come natural to me, but like, for some reason I've I've come up with this idea that I should do it. And me and Mara, you know, we talk about it in terms of the kind of culture of being an entrepreneur. Now everybody could, you know, call themselves an entrepreneur and they want to be something and they want to create something and build something. And I often think, well, is that just an idea you made up? Is that just like, is that what you want to do? Is that, <laughs> is that natural to you? Uh, and, and I feel like, you know, some people are from their young, they're born, born to be and then have talent in basketball. And if they use that talent, they might go to an NBA, but it seems unlikely to me that, and impossible to me, that's why I'm saying I'm honest, that I now as 20 could just like, well, I think I'm going to do the NBA and I'm going to reach that. Now I see a path of becoming much better and, mm-hmm. and where I am, I see I can evolve, I see I can progress, I see any human can put themselves in a direction. But I also see that it's very in and tempting now to just kind of go for something that's kind of not natural. It's just like maybe they heard it was cool to do it. So I don't know if this is making sense, but in terms of creating the impossible, I know 
there are people who are doing that and it doesn't create that freedom you're talking. It doesn't create what they want. It just creates this idea that I should be working, I should be grinding, I should want this. And then they go on the trajectory of that rather than kind of yeah. the, the freedom. They got operation. on the travelator going the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it what it inevitably is, and I, I'm not saying there wouldn't be other things, but what yeah. I see where I see that most often, and I talk about it a lot in the book, is if if it's about you, you're screwed before you start. Mm. Right? If you take on something because you think it will make you more impressive or it will make right. you a better person or it will get you laid or it will do whatever it is. It'll, it'll prove your parents were wrong about you. You know, it, it you know, we, I, I mean, I've worked with some, some really successful people who literally started to prove their first grade teacher wrong. Yeah. But, yes. You know, and, and it's not that you can't get anywhere that way. It's, it's that it, it, you will run out of steam because the problem is uh, the, the, instead of, aiming this incredible creative mind towards what it is you want to create, it's all aimed inwards at you. It gets very self-conscious. It gets very self-referential. It, it beca- you become much more subject to your psychology. The beauty of creating is it is, it, it is something that happens beyond psychology. That's why so many of the great artists and, and musicians and actors are kind of messed up people with low self-esteem. It turns out you don't need to have your head together to create beautiful things. You need to be able to get out of your head in order to create beautiful things. And so when you make it about you, you're back in your head. You, you can't escape it because really it's all checking. How does this make me look? You know, <laughs> do, do my thighs look fat in this million dollar home? <laughs> you know, it, it, and, and so when I see people do that kind of, you know, what I would call creating the grandiose, you know, or, or creating the impressive, it, it, it isn't right. coming from that, oh my God, wouldn't it be cool? It's coming from the, ooh, wouldn't I be cool if not yeah. it be cool? And, and so I think that is what's behind those sort of forced achievements um, is there, they, they were never coming from an, a seed. They were never coming from a, ooh, they were coming from a ha-ha. Yeah. Yes. What I hear you saying is like, one, the creating the impossible is a willingness to venture into the unknown, to go beyond your ideas, hence the impossible. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. the creating the grandiose or the creating the platform for my self-esteem is going into a pre-existing idea of this is who I am and this is what I need in order to. So it's already trapped. Mm-hmm. Like nothing yeah. really, yeah. you know, there's no real juice there. Yeah, it would be like playing snakes and ladders on a checkerboard. It's just not going to work, <laughs> right? You've set up the game wrong. Yeah. So I'm dying to know, like, immersing yourself in the writing of this book and the running the program. I mean, I suffer from, I feel like if there's any downside to understanding the truly profound freedom of thought and creativity is that you can start to see tons of ideas Mm. that you know, if you put your mind to, you could run with it and you could maybe make that impossible possible. So um, if anything, I think sometimes in in the limits of time, space and reality, we have to pick, you know, which impossible dreams are we going to go for? And, and, 
or maybe that's my own limitation. You know, maybe I could be doing a lot more than I currently am. But anyway, I, I'm just going to be cool with where I'm at. <laughs> but like, what has been some of the inspired ideas that have come to you? Like, is there any, are, are you in the process of a creating the impossible right now? Yeah. So, so there's two things that, 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 that I would, I would say about it. The first is, this is going to sound sideways, but I think it's going to answer the question. I, I used to be a three book a week minimum reader. You know, I've, I've slowed down, but I, you know, that was my, my normal. And I realized one day, um, I was, I was reading something about Thomas Jefferson that he actually had read everything that was written at his stage in life. Like he literally had read everything that existed in writing. And I realized that's no longer really in the realms, right? <laughs> that, that, that there are things are being written faster than I can read them. And so I realized, well, if I'm never going to be able to read everything that's out there, I'm never going to read anything I don't really, really want to. Because I could just stay with what I really, really want to read and still not get through it all. So I kind of have the same approach. When I st- the more I see how infinitely creative the mind is, the less I try to do everything that comes to mind. Right? It's like when you realize that you can fall in love with everybody, you don't sleep with everybody. Right? It's not a practical way forward. So, you know, when I realize I'm going to have a million ideas before breakfast, I'm not going to try and do them all. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold out for the ones that I really want to flirt with. And then if the flirting goes well, the ones that I want to date. And then if the dating goes well, the ones I want to engage. And then if the engagement holds, the ones I'm going to commit to. And cool. because I'm not looking for a, a pret-a-porter idea where, oh, here it is. It's perfect. Ta-da. I know it will evolve. I know it will, qualities will emerge as I go. I don't go down as many rabbit holes as you'd think. And, and in right now, what that looks like is we're playing around with a few things this year that we've never done before. I've, I've always done book launches the conventional way, which is you put a lot of energy into the first six weeks and hope. Like I always think of it like running with a kite. And you just run with a kite as fast as you can for six weeks. And then you just hope the wind catches it and it flies. <laughs> well, well, this year I just thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if we didn't have to do it like that? And mm-hmm. what emerged was, oh, what if we do this over the course of a year and we walk instead of run and we just every day do stuff and see what happens? Well, that's what we're doing. And it's, I'm having to deal with the fact that I'm used to the sprint and the energy and the adrenaline. And yet I, I can already see, oh my God, I can't wait to see what occurs to us to do in June. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what comes to mind in September. So, so that for me is just completely new. And part of it, the, the, the bit that I, I kind of, because when I host the program, I like to create my own project. And the thing I'm doing as a project this, this year is to connect with a million people through my work. Now, I don't know how to do that. I've been at this for 29 years and I haven't done that. But I know I'm not going to do it by working my ass off. <laughs> That's not going to be the solution. And, and so consequently, it doesn't daunt me it's kind of exciting. It's like, I wonder what will occur. I wonder which, what miracles will happen along the way. I wonder what ideas will come to me because I'm in the game. 
that would never come to me on the sidelines. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I wish you the best of luck. I have a feeling you'll get there. And we, you know, we have to have a follow-up um, podcast That's to great. see, like, you know, how is it in June? What happened? Like, <laughs> did you see another idea? The 645,000 person failure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like nice going, guys. You only created peace in seventy of the countries in the world. Yeah, like, try harder next lifetime, please. I know. Oh God. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think that was a perfect. I want to ask one more. Is All right, okay? we have time. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Five Go minutes. You've got to be real brief with this one, but if you could pick one thing that you could change in the world, what would it be? I could pick one thing that could change in the world. So Nina and Oliver and I had this conversation not that long ago. And Oliver said that he would educate the world. Like that's how he, that, that would be, that everyone in the world was educated about um, life, you, you know, about sort of, hey, this is how it works in different parts of the world. And, and so that they're, they're, they wouldn't be exploitable through innocent ignorance. Nina said, um, well, I think if we could all just love each other a little bit more. And, you know, we all made fun of her. And, 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 uh, and, and uh, typical woman. Yeah. And, 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 and I thought about it and I thought, boy, if, if, if there was one thing in the world I would change, it would be that people could take things less to heart, right? That they, that they didn't have to suffer from every thought that went through their head. And consequently, it would raise the consciousness of the planet for lack of a non-esoteric way of saying it. And, and then when, as we were talking, I realized, oh my God, we're all saying the same thing. Right? The fruit of Oliver educating the world is people would start to see through their apparent limits. The fruit of us all loving each other a little bit more is, is it wouldn't look to us like we had to take every slight to heart and, and that other people were the source of all our problems. And if people could get some perspective on their own thinking, if they could kind of see both their incredible potential and their absolute idiocy from time to time and not take either personally, the world would be an infinitely better place. And, and, and so it's, it's not kind of picking a pet project, but for me, that's the tide that all boats will rise on. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've, for the moment at least, made my life about. That's the perfect question to end on. And um, as you know, whatever we can do to help you in that journey and thank you for continuing to help us in our version of that journey, yeah. because I totally think what you just said is possible. Yeah. Yeah, me too, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you so much. Oh, Michael. Pleasure, guys.